From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. It's like a floral bouquet. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Right. It's a bouquet of floral things, but also fruit. Yeah, like it's the flowers it's on top of It's an edible arrangement of beer. <gasps> Why isn't that a thing? I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't know if it should be, because I don't know if I want chocolate mixed with... I'm not a fan of chocolate-covered fruit. Well, wait, it's true. Wait, right, but like this would be just an edible arrangement Without of beer. Without the chocolate? Yeah, but I thought, okay. wait, animal arrangement of beer, I feel like it would just be like a valentine with little beer samples in it. I like that. I like yeah. that idea. Is that a thing? No, I don't know, but it should be. Maybe that can be how we make our millions. Can we... Or thousands. Sell some kind of heart-shaped box full of shots of beer? Yeah, but I feel like we need more than a shot, because like, beer isn't but like liquor. No, but it's like a beer tasting box. Yeah, like you get like a, a little taster. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, we should do this. We should do this. What are we doing with our lives? This Not pod- this, apparently. This podcast is what podcast. we're doing with our lives. All right, well, I don't know if we chose wisely or poorly, but we chose. Yeah. And we're doing this podcast. Speaking of which, welcome to Rock Candy. Hello. <laughs> Your weekly podcast, bringing you those sweet treats of beer arrangements. I mean, <laughs> stories from the world of music. There you go. That's what I mean. And this week, we've got... A very interesting story that mm-hmm. isn't told nearly enough. No, not at all. At all. Because to be perfectly honest, I don't know shit about this band. Right. And I should know a lot of shit about this band. Yeah. But I, I feel, I felt uh, by the end of my research that I have not done my due diligence as a person of music. Yeah. By not knowing this band better before. As a fan of rock music in general. And punk music. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of punk music, but I feel like whether you're a fan or not, you should know about this fucking band. Period. Seriously. And I mean, yeah, especially we're in the midst of Black History Month. This is a very important band for the punk movement for Black History. Mm -hmm. They are quite seminal. We are talking about Bad Brains. Yes, we are. They are. Whew. They're a good band. It's a lot. No nah, man, like but their story is a lot. <laughs> it it it's an interesting story, but also like their music is really good, yeah. and I'm kind of kicking myself in the butt for not listening to them before. Yeah, but this is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this podcast is at least 
taught me a lot. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah. And I'll take it. And taught us that, hey, maybe we should have been listening to these people long before now. Yeah. But <laughs> maybe. I mean, like, but I mean, I mean, we're here now. We're here yeah. for it now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it indeed. And at the beginning, when we were talking about beer, we were talking about the beer we were drinking for this week to go along with the episode. And it is Found Word. Uh, it's actually a collaboration with um, Against the Grain Brewery and Stillwater Artisanal. Artisanal. Or, or artisanal. Uh, I like artisanal. Uh, Today I'm going as artisanal. And that's because they have an album, Eye Against Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they in general, I think, went against the grain because that's what punk music really does. Um, uh, well, not only that, but they were, you know, it was an all black member band. Yeah. And they were playing punk music. Which is unheard of kind of at the unheard time. of but also especially they started out in what the late 70s like very late 70s very early 80s yeah um, they it. were really early on in the punk movement mm-hmm. and uh they're still going aren't they i'll get to that <laughs> it's they were at least going until the 2000s ish they are still going but it's not as clean cut as that yeah I will say that much. Yeah. I mean, like, I am kind of reaching a lot with this beer because it was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard to find a beer to go along with this episode. TBH. TBH. It is hard to find beers to go along with punk albums. It really is. And punk artists. Which surprises me because you would think. Yeah. It was very hard for me to figure out a beer to go with um, Henry Rollins. Mm. And the only reason I chose the coffee one was because he loves coffee yeah <laughs> he is obsessed with coffee so yeah. and he had a, he had a song called black coffee yep. i was like okay sure this works yeah. i don't know so <laughs> Guys, sometimes, sometimes it's really hard to find beer we can't find the beer but we want to talk about the artist and sometimes we just find the beer and we're like whatever we'll just fucking figure it out right you know so it, we can't be perfect all the time i think we've been pretty on point up to this point i think we've we we try. Yeah. And to the point where a lot of beer store owners look at us very funny. Yeah, you guys don't even know. Around the Capital District of New York. We're probably known for being creepers. They, they look at every single bottle of beer and they don't know why. These girls stay for like 45 minutes and look at every yeah. bottle of beer. And then refuse help when we ask them if they need it. Also, with a found word, uh, one of the... I based my... Research mostly off of two documentaries because it's it is kind of hard to find information about this band too. Yeah. Um. One documentary is Bad, Bad Brains, a band in D.C., which is a playoff of one of their songs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also the other documentary I watched was Finding Joseph I, and it's Found Word. And I would argue maybe by the end of the documentary he's kind of found. There you go. So sure. reaching. But again, guys, <laughs> sometimes you have to reach in order to get what you need. The beer thing is sometimes hard for us. Yes. It's not always just straight out. Yeah. So be be gentle on us with beers. Or just give us beers. Whatever. You can also give us beers if you think they're applicable to something. But like and they, we will but like, drink don't them. stretch the way we do. Yeah, no. <laughs> Unless you like provide a dissertation on why exactly it works. Ooh. And then maybe we'll do it. Okay, you did our research for us? Yeah. Mary? There you go. Mary, I like it. 
So with that, let's uh, let's kick into this story here about bad brains. Yes, please. And kind of like we were saying before, I will go full disclosure. I didn't even know all that much about bad brains, really. You know, I knew they were an important punk band. I knew they really stood out as an all-person-of-color punk band. Mm -hmm. But I never really listened to their music, and I certainly didn't know their story. And again, now that I listen to their music, I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass, like, this is really good. Why did I not listen to this? (laughs) Because you didn't know, and that's the problem. I didn't know. So hopefully y'all will know after this. And it shouldn't be too surprising to hear that they have a slightly different tale than most other punk groups. First of all, let's just be upfront and talk about the fact that this band consists of four black guys in a prominently, dominantly white subculture. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes. This is not a common occurrence. Absolutely not. But they had a lot of other things that set them apart, too. Their sound would change throughout the years. This is a group of guys that could be inspired by something they heard, and they would just take it and make something of it of their own. So it's they're very unique in that sense. Mm-hmm. Very ever-evolving. And their importance cannot be overstated, as they have influenced countless bands, some underground, some well-known today, from Black Flag, speaking of Henry Rollins, mm-hmm. and Minor Threat to Sublime and Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Beyond and Beyond and Beyond. Yeah. Kurt Cobain said that uh, one of their albums was... Rock for Light was one of his top 50. Yes. And actually, Dave Grohl says that he knows every drum lick off of Rock for Light and smells like Team Spirit, the drums in mm-hmm. it, based off of the drums that um, are from Bad Brains. See? So Baby Dave Grohl. Baby Dave Grohl. If Taking... Dave Grohl says it, it's got to be real, man. Yeah. It's got to be real, man. And just as important as their music is their story, which I'm going to tell you right now is not going to go in the direction that you think it will. I'm excited for this. <laughs> it's This was a interesting rabbit hole. Yeah. There were twists and turns that I did not expect. Huh. Okay. So, buckle up, buckaroos. <laughs> the band Bad Brains, as we know it today, it didn't start out the way most punk rockers do. Originally, when these four guys got together, they formed a band that played jazz fusion. Okay. They were inspired by the likes of Stanley Clark, Return to Forever, John McLaughlin, etc., etc. Jazz fusion. Okay. Jazz it's, fusion. It's like if po- prog rock was jazz. Jazz fusion. Got it. <laughs> a good friend of theirs was trying to turn them onto the punk scene and took them to a Dead Boys show. The guys couldn't believe what they were seeing with these high energy acts totally letting loose on stage. So after that, they knew punk was their real calling. But let's back up a little here and get to know who these four guys are. First, we have lead singer Paul D. Hudson, better known as HR, for human rights. Mm -hmm. He was born in Liverpool, England, to a Jamaican mother and an American father who would move him around the world for most of his childhood. This is an American band, though, right? Oh, no, they're very American. Oh, okay. But his parents just had jobs in which they moved them around for their whole lives. Gotcha. Well, I mean, for their whole childhoods, anyway. It was while living in Jamaica for a time that he began his love for swimming, and more importantly, music. He and his younger brother would play and sing, HR on guitar, and Earl playing drums. Earl Hudson is not only HR's brother, but also the drummer for Bad Brains. When I was looking up some um, information on them to just like do a brief synopsis, I f- thought for a hot second that they said Ernie Hudson, and I was like, 
Ernie Hudson was in Bad Brains? And I'm like, no. 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 Wrong Hudson. (laughs) Wrong Hudson, man. (laughs) Different Hudson. Totally different. While both he and his brother had a love for music, it wouldn't be until their family moved to D.C. area that they would really try their hands at being in a band. In school, Earl met a guy named Gary Miller, who was playing bass in a band of his own. One day, Earl introduced Gary to his brother, and they all hit it off right away. Gary would not be known as Gary for long, though. He was nicknamed Dr. No, and that's what he goes by as far as fans are concerned. Oh, don't no. ask me why Dr. No. I don't... K-N-O-W. I don't know. Oh, okay. Thank God. No, because K-N-O-W. Because there, there is a serial killer named Dr. No, spelled N-O, and I was like, mm. I also think there's like a James Bond movie called Dr. No. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, it's K-N-O-W. Okay, I really tried to find out why they call him this. I don't know. If you know and you're yelling at me right now and be like, but it's so easy to find out. I didn't find out. Please tell me. Yeah. (laughs) Please. I would love to know. The guys decided they wanted to give themselves a bit of a challenge, so HR and Dr. No switched up instruments, HR and guitar, and Dr. No on bass. They took practicing very seriously, and some sessions they would work together for so long, it would end with both of them having just bloody fingers. Oh, yeah. no, that's not worth it's it. It's intense. However, something was still missing. They met a guy born and raised in D.C. named Daryl Jennifer, who was playing bass for a funky R&B band. They were quite impressed and asked him to join. Getting HR off of guitar duty, which left him wide open for what he really wanted, that front man status. Mm-hmm. They got together based on their own mutual interest in music, jazz fusion in particular. They called their band Mind Power and did that for about a year or so. Their friend Sid McRae had been coming around and playing records by The Damned and The Sex Pistols for them. Finally, he got them to see a live show and, as stated previously, there was no going back for them. Mm-hmm. In part with the total change of approach, they also decided to change their name. Inspiration was taken from the well-known Ramones, and they decided to call themselves Bad Brains after the song Bad Brain. Oh. There you go. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's cute. Except they meant to use the word bad as in good, because that's a thing we used to do back in the day. Yeah, remember when when bad bad actually meant good, and parents were so confused? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. They meant it in more of a positive light. (laughs) Bad Brains made a decision right off the bat that they were going to play faster and more technical than all the other bands out there. And quite frankly, when you consider their background in jazz, that wasn't going to be too difficult for them. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, a background in jazz is you really good if you want to be technically savvy as fuck. Yeah, um, it makes sense that they would go from jazz to punk, because technically it's it's pretty similar. And trust me, they were fast. They blew everyone away with how fast they played. People tell stories of getting their first single, and initially they thought they were playing it at the wrong speed, so they slowed (laughs) it down, but then all the vocals were really distorted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were that fast. That's funny. Yeah, it was crazy. When Bad Brains began doing shows, they immediately garnered the attention of the punk kids in D.C., and I don't think it's wrong to say that it was in part because of them being an all-black punk band That definitely got everyone curious, but what kept them coming was their intensely energetic shows. If you're playing that fast, then, you know, I I bet people are going to take notice of it pretty quickly. Definitely. Especially if it's four black guys playing that fast. Right. Punk music. It's like, not only is this like, 
four black guys, which you don't see. Yeah. But, like, they're so good yeah. and they're so fast. Yeah. You know, it's it's when you have the novelty to bring people in, but the actual, like, chops to get them to stay. Yeah. Which is great. And see, as a kid, HR was really shy and really quiet. And as he got older, he got a little bit more sociable, but he still really kept to himself. But on stage, he was an absolute force that would not be ignored. He would run around, do backflips, jump off the stage from the amps. He would get an entire room moving in moments. Like Henry Rollins tells stories about when he would go see Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. And I guess like HR would just jump into the audience and jump right on top of him. Like he jumped right on top of him and started screaming in his face. And Henry Rollins was like, ah, because he's Henry <laughs> Rollins. And of course he's got an animated way of telling the story. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean... Everyone says, like, HR was in that crowd in minutes to dance with everyone. Isn't it funny how a lot of uh, lead singers would be very reserved and very quiet and, you know, solitary in regular life. But as soon as they got on stage, they were fucking crazy. Well, I think because you're probably normally like that in person. But being on stage that one time, you feel safe to be like, I'm just going to play this character. Yeah, see, I don't feel safe doing that. <laughs> I feel I... self-conscious as fuck. And I'm like the opposite, where I'm like, I'm just always like this. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired a lot. I sleep really good. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> In 1979, they recorded their first cassette and called it Black Dots. It was all done in someone's house where the recording equipment was in one room and the rest of the band was scattered throughout the house. Except HR, who was outside near some shrubbery recording his vocals. <laughs> and it's said that you can hear crickets on the tape because he was so close to the shrubbery oh, that's and that's funny. where they're hiding. That's funny. Yeah, it was just this one house where everyone's scattered about. That's kind of weird. I yeah. bet the neighbors were real pissed off. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But, you know. That's they, punk. That's punk, bitch. Now, the thing that really set Bad Brains apart from the majority of punk was their message. While you had white boys raging and screaming about the establishment and pushing ideals of nihilism, Bad Brains wanted to promote their PMA, or their positive mental attitude. Oh. Mm. You don't hear that very often. You don't, especially (laughs) in punk. HR's dad once gave him a book called Think and Grow Rich that very much influenced his outlook on life going forward. This book wasn't just about growing rich monetarily, but mentally and emotionally. It's a lot of philosophical ideas about thinking positively and living nonviolently. The guys always believed that a peaceful path would get a better response than a violent one. One example of this can be heard in their song, Attitude, where they claim, we got that PMA. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the whole thing is, we got that PMA. Yeah. Which kind of sounds almost sexual in a way. But 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 if you think about it, it's like, oh, oh. just positive mental attitude. Yep. Okay. 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 And they believed they could unite the audience in positivity, and that would actually make a change, as opposed to these other guys who were just screaming about, like, oh, anarchy, and the establishment's fucking us over, Government's and let's perturb- I mean, these are all true things. Yeah. But they didn't have a solution to it. They didn't want to bring people together. They just wanted to destroy. Right. But positive mental attitude is a solution Right. To like, a lot let's of all things. get together. Let's all work together. And let's try to bring about positive change within ourselves. Let's not just whine. Isn't it funny how all of the white dudes in punk were whining about the establishment and how shitty it is, but 
it was, you know, the people of color that were actually suggesting um, a solution. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but if you're going to say it. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Huh. And not in the Alanis Morissette kind of way. Yeah, because those aren't actually ironic. No, there's just a series of bummers. <laughs> <laughs> but series of bummers doesn't really roll off the tongue the way ironic does, does it? Isn't it a series of bummers? Don't you think? No, don't you think? <laughs> it yeah, is, it, though. It's It doesn't roll off the tongue as well. It does not. <laughs> Bad Brains was fully immersed in the DC punk scene, which, while plentiful in talent, was lacking in opportunity. There were only three clubs that they were able to perform at, and these three club owners were a pretty tight-knit group of people. And at one point, the band was just deemed to cause too much of a riot, and the chances to play live really went away in DC. They caused too much of a riot? Right. Really? Right. And the other ones didn't? Okay, so... Because wasn't uh, Black Flag in D.C. at this point, and, like, they weren't deemed too raucous to play these places. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, like, of course, by today's standards, we roll our eyes and scoff incredulously at the fact that they, like, were banned for their high-energy shows. Mm -hmm. But it's fair to point out that in the late 70s, early 80s, no one moved that much at live shows. All the energy that H.R. put out into the crowd with his flips and his pogoing and the crowd just running and pushing and shoving it really wasn't seen that much before yes black flag was doing it but they were seeing bad brains doing it mm-hmm. and that's what inspired them you know in general many regard the hardcore punk scene in dc to be the place where moshing really got its start okay and in addition they attribute hr to coining the phrase itself because he would have lyrics about the crowd mashing or like when he's on stage he would talk about like hey guys let's all mash but due to his jamaican accent it sounded like he said mosh or moshing okay so from there it caught fire and became synonymous with the hardcore punk scene so okay. that's why like moshing is the way it is okay or at least th- that's what i've read i don't know if somebody has another story then so be it but... i mean honestly i have never heard any other story about how moshing got started right. or how it got its name but i mean so that's... as far as i'm concerned that sounds good but that's the thing is really bad brains can be attributed to bringing punk to the hardcore level that it got to right to bringing up the moshing to bringing up that high energy and so when you have a bunch of club owners who have never seen that before, like, yeah, you see people like kind of nodding their heads. But not slamming and into each other. And I mean, think about mosh pits now. Yeah. People didn't I fucking supp- see that in the 70s and 80s. I suppose any club owner would see that and be like, oh, they're trying to kill each other. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like, and I would probably argue in Bad Brain shows, that's probably the last place you'll see people actually getting hurt in a mosh pit. Because mm-hmm. it's like... You can watch the videos and see, like, people are really pushing into each other, but there's no fists being thrown. There's not, like, people, like, elbowing each other. It's yeah. just, like, it's pushing. It's actual pushing with, yeah. like, your open palm and on somebody's body, not in their face or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I can understand, like, a club owner is going to see that, and if you've never really seen that before, and be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? But at the same time, like... Bad Brains was so positive, and they're like, let's all love each other. Let's yeah, all bump into each other because we love each other? Nobody's... But, like, you're not bumping into each other because you love everybody in the audience. You're bumping into each other because you feel some kind of connection to the music. Exactly. So you're physically trying to get closer to it. And right. uh, I'm, I don't go to mosh pits anymore, but I do... <laughs> I have been in at shows where the crowd is just 
so enthusiastic about the band and just Mm -hmm. want that physical connection to the stage that they're just pushing to the front and pushing everybody and everybody's going all over the place so it it's not violence it's not purposely violence it's just yeah it it's annoying sometimes if you don't want to be in it but if you're if you're into the music that much pushing yourself to the front to get closer to the band is what you want to do right um and then, like, you're up there and you're like, well, what else am I going to do? Let's just keep pushing each other around the stage. Yeah. I'm just going to lose my fucking mind and sing every word and, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. This all checks out. Yeah. Totally. And actually, through this whole experience, they ended up writing a song about not being able to play in clubs and it was called Band in D.C., <laughs> which is why the documentary is called Abandoned D.C. Abandoned DC. Abandoned DC. Got it. <laughs> Jokes. Yeah, puns. <laughs> so the guys moved to New York City to get away from the stigma, but also to expand their influence. And this was clearly the exact right move for them. The scene in New York took notice of Bad Brains right off the bat. And they were not only getting live gigs again, but notably at CBGB's, where they were playing <laughs> once a month. They basically had like a monthly residency. Yeah. And that's what, in that time, when you're punk, you want that. That's where you need to be if you are a punk band in the late 70s. Early 80s. Early that's 80s. exactly where you want to be. And within months, the guys were asked to support the Damned on a UK tour. They jumped at the chance, despite pretty much having no money. Wait, this was their first tour and they're already going to the UK? Mm-hmm. Wow. Right? Because ba- Bad Brains is that good. Yeah. They sold everything they had except their instruments so they could afford the flight over. Upon arriving in London, it was brought to their attention that they lacked a little thing called working papers, which was kind of key to being on tour. Nobody told them they needed working papers? It's punk in the late 70s, early 80s. No one's But wait, no, but didn't the dam tell them that they needed it? I guess they assumed they knew they needed it. No, you don't just assume that. Well, they did. (laughs) <laughs> They've never been there before. They don't know. Well, I think Bad Brains was definitely given a harder time than warranted. Probably. Some of it may be due to the color of their skin, and some of it may be due to the fact that they were dressed like crazy punk dudes. Right. Apparently, they wore these suits that they spray painted. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, because they're punk. They're not going to wear a suit, just like a straight fucking suit. They're going to make it crazy with spray paint. Yeah. And they probably looked great. Did they wear that on the plane? I guess. That sounds really uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. Back then, you, you, dressed, you dressed up, up to get on a plane. You know, and I used to be like, I wish when people, I wish people still tried to dress up on planes. And I'm like, no, no. you know what sweats. No, 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 no. I get it. If I am sitting in a squished fucking seat with three or four other people in my aisle and I can barely move, I don't have anywhere to put my arms I am not going to be dressed up in a nice dress with heels and shit like that. I'm going to be in my goddamned pajamas. I will say this, though. Shower. And don't eat fiber before you get on the plane. There is still etiquette. Yeah. And the etiquette is is mostly revolved around uh, bodily functions. Yeah. um, And being in close quarters with other people. That's what you're going to do. Just make sure you don't have to shit a lot and make sure you smell good. Those are the only things you really need That's to look out for. Guys. It's easy. 
It's really yeah. easy. You can wear like some nice like I don't even care if I can see your underwear through your leggings. Just don't smell. Half the time people can see my underwear through my leggings. I don't care. I'm fucking comfortable. Right. However, don't eat something that's going to give you some gastrointestinal Ooh, distress. Don't though. Don't fuck Just the rest don't. of us over. We didn't ask for this. No. Anyway. Anyway. The tour manager tried to reason with customs, telling them that these guys were okay to be here. They're expected to be on this tour. He then pulled out a wad of cash and said, look, this is the money that they're going to be earning. They're going to be working. They're not vagrants. Just let them through. But customs wouldn't have it and sent bad brains right back to JFK Airport. No, not kidding. Seriously? It's not like, oh. Right? What year was this? Like 7980. Fuck that. I know. There was no reason to send them back. Well, to add insult to injury, it was discovered that their guitars were stolen and never even made it to Are London. You fucking kid stolen from where? JFK. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see how it is. Your reactions are great. <laughs> I see how it is now. Quote unquote stolen from JFK. Fuck that. Oh, is there a conspiracy theory I need to be aware of? Yeah, JF. Somebody at JFK stole their fucking guitars. That's what happened. Well, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, they had literally nothing and had to panhandle for some change to catch the catch the train home. That is such bullshit. It's it's a oh lot of bullshit. Oh my god. But you know what? They didn't give up though. They borrowed equipment. Good for them for their fucking perseverance. Because at that point, I would have been like, like, fuck fuck this. this. I'm I'm walking home. I don't need this shit. I'm done with this fucking band. You cannot walk from JFK. No, I can't. But I would have tried. I know. But yeah, they didn't give up. They borrowed equipment and tried to figure out ways to make just enough money to survive. They took what little cash they had and they bought weed to make joints and they could just sell them for a dollar each. There you go. This kept them afloat for a while, but ultimately it was just too difficult to keep up. And by 1980, they ended up back in D.C. Ugh, that's annoying. It is, but, you know, they still could get some things going in D.C. Mm-hmm. On their return, Bad Brains was working on a film with a guy named Pierre. It wasn't anything special, just a live performance. And the quality was meh. But it was being backed by Pierre's boss, restaurant owner Mo Sussman. He hated the video, but he <laughs> loved the band, and he saw something truly unique in them. Okay. He had them come out to his fancy pants restaurant for a dinner and offered to manage them and help them get a record made. Mo financed the boys so they could get all new equipment as well as a van so they could get around. And with this, the guys were once again on their way. And in addition to all this, Mo did secure a place for them in the backwoods of Virginia, where they could live and be free to work on their music. Interesting choice of location, but okay. They weren't very close to neighbors since they were kind of set in the woods. So mm-hmm. there were people around, but not close. So they figured, like, they're kind of, like, you know, like, it's going to be fine, whatever. And they would spend their days practicing with their friends and have music theory classes. They'd learn how to play and read music properly. Like, these guys were really diligent. Yeah. They weren't just, like, a pu- couple guys that you gave some instruments to, like, whatever, we can play and we'll figure well, out. Like, they wanted that they were, technical Yeah, they were dedicated perfection. to learning not just, you know, their own songs to play, but learning more about music theory and how to properly d- 
how to do things right. Yeah, they didn't want to just bullshit it. To they be, wanted to be like, technically legit, sound. Legit professional musicians. Exactly. However, their neighbors were close enough to discover that four black punks were playing music and smoking pot in their oh, area. Fucking God. My God. God, gasp. <gasps> Clutch the pearls. Because oh. whiteys oh. don't like that. Oh, for fuck's sake. So they called the cops on them. Are you fucking kidding? Not kidding. Don't even try and talk to them like a legit human being. Just fucking call the cops on them. There's four black punks, the smoke and the marijuanas. I never. Um, I never. So one day the band came home after getting some new equipment. And when the police raided the place, they just raided it. Yeah. Like, <gasps> they didn't even like knock on the door and be like, hey, keep it down. Nope. They raided it. Everyone was put in handcuffs while the police searched the home. Why? They assumed the music gear was stolen, especially Why? because they were at the time loading some new gear out of their oh, van. Oh my God. Yep. They also figured like they would be carrying like hundreds of pounds of weed. Ugh. Well, they finally figured out that the gear was actually theirs, and there's only like a handful of joints in the place, so they're not having any drug deals. And they, oh, the neighbors are just being racist d bags, so they let them go. Good. At least somebody in this situation had a smidgen of sense, and that's definitely a smidgen. A smidgen because like, they went through all of that bullshit before they realized. Oh, oh it turns out your neighbors legit. are racist. And, like, when you see Mo Sussman being interviewed about it, he's like, I honestly just didn't think that the neighbors would be garbage. But it turns <laughs> but out it, they were. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of in the south of America in, like, you're in 1970, Virginia. 1980. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. I'm saying it. I mean, just because the neighbors are kind of sit back from that place doesn't mean they're not going to get pissed off if they see, you know, a bunch of black punks. Right. Next door. Quote unquote next door. However far away that Seriously. is. Seriously. Like, they're still going to try and find any reason whatsoever to call the cops on them. Exactly. Well, with that past them, HR's book was not the only thing to influence bad brains. In 1980, they went to a Bob Marley concert and were totally enamored with the sound and the message. So from there, they immersed themselves in the Rastafarian movement and brought reggae into their music style. Hmm. Their songs took on a Rasta message, which really isn't all that different from PMA. Mm -hmm. They began to promote the message of loving each other and loving Jah, which, for those of you who don't know, Jah is just the Rasta word for God. Okay. <laughs> they still had their high-energy imp impressive technical skills, but some of the songs kind of slowed down a little. And actually, at this point, you can really see how they influenced The Clash. So, would you say that they were kind of going in a more ska kind of direction? Oh, yeah. I mean, ska, um, Bad Brains totally influenced ska. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know shit about ska, because I don't like it. But... <laughs> Ska's great. <laughs> but I'm assuming Ska came from punk mm -hmm. um, and had, like, the Rastafarian influence yeah. and um, the influence of Jamaican music yeah. into Definitely. it. So oh, totally. I would assume that Bad Brains was really the first band to take that um, 
Rastafarian well, yeah. influence and I mean, mix it with punk well, and then get it. ska. Think about it in this line. Like, it's like, you've got the bad brains and, like, the Clash, clearly influenced by the bad brains. And you've got, like, Sublime, clearly brains. influenced by, like, the Clash and bad brains. Yeah. And then you've got ska, who's clearly, like, kind of like Sublime, so therefore they had to have been somewhat influenced by the Clash and bad brains. Like, yeah. it's, it's definitely this crazy... But I would say that maybe bad brains is the first one to marry the two together oh, and have yeah. the ska baby. Yeah. yeah. Like, ska is... Definitely a descendant of bad brains. Mm -hmm. For better or for worse. I would say for better. Honestly, I don't really see how else it could have it could have come about. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, and maybe I don't I really don't know how much influence um Jamaican music had and reggae had on bad brains, but a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Well, well, there you go. Then, yeah. Yeah. I, I can absolutely see how Scott would have come from them. And then other artists kind of took that and took off with it and made it into ska. Definitely. As we know it. And especially like HR and Earl, because like their mother's Jamaican. They yeah. lived in Jamaica for a while. So that culture had always been permeant within them. Mm -hmm. And then they really get into Bob Marley. They really get in that Rastafarian movement. Right. So it makes sense. It totally makes sense that this is kind of the direction that they'd go in. Yeah. At the time, Rastafarianism was more of an underground movement. And you didn't see white boy dreads. And Bob Marley was viewed as an enemy by the U.S. government. So Which makes no sense. I know. Why? Because He was not an enemy. Because he would have united people and they would have been like, the government's bullshit and the government doesn't want that. Ugh. Whatever. Go back to our conspiracy theory episode back in October 2018 <laughs> to hear more about that, because we do talk about it. Mm -hmm. People assumed Rastas were violent and should be avoided. Uh, 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 violent? Right. So when because, because they're black, what? I'm what? saying it because they're black because we assume black people oh are violent. Oh my god! I know. I'm saying it. We're not I'm great. Sorry. Pot smokers are like not violent. Pot smokers are the least violent people. Like <laughs> they're so not violent. Fucking give me a couple hits. I don't move they just from the fucking, couch. Yeah, they're they end up being stuck to whatever piece of furniture they're sitting in, and they're just like. Whatever. This is fine. Like, I have never been around a violent great. pot smoker. I have only around pot smokers either. who are just like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Like, let's have conversations. Pe because that's the thing. People don't smoke pot to go fucking rage. They smoke pot to chill the fuck out and have a good time. Bingo. <laughs> I don't even smoke it and I know that. Yeah. You've been around enough Jesus of Jesus fucking Christ, people. <laughs> So when Bad Brains came out with this image, it did take some people aback, and some were worried that they were turning their backs on punk, because, like, let's, you know how the punk movement is. Yeah, I get it. But where they had lost some, they had definitely gained others. At the end of the day, their message wasn't changing. They were still the same band, just adding new elements to their style. In fact, many appreciated that their sets would go back and forth between hardcore and, like, this dub movement. They would get the crowd up with their faster songs, and then they would take some time to mellow everyone out with some reggae. And they had an intentional pacing to their sets that people could tell, like, I'm going to build you up, take a break, build you mm -hmm. up again. Mm -hmm. And it kind of worked out great. That's a good idea. It really was. Because don't get people too riled up. When and they don't know what to do going, with their energy. And they don't know what to do. Just let them calm down. 
and then chill out and Boom. then and then you can build them back up a little bit exactly by 1981, they were kind of clashing with their manager, Mo over the decision to go more mainstream with their sound. Many accused him of trying to get them to sell out and go pop. Ugh, here we go again. Yeah, right? But you know what, though? Bad Brains refused to do it because they knew that that just wasn't the path for them. Uh, yeah. So they left Mo and went back to New York City. Okay. Because they knew they wanted to do their own thing and what Mo wanted them to do wasn't what they wanted to do, which is mm-hmm. fine. Jerry Williams came across Bad Brains at a show and invited them to his facility that doubled as a performance venue slash recording studio at 171A. There he recorded their performance and they released it on cassette with an independent label, Roar, R-O-I-R, in 1982. Hmm. It would be known as the self-titled debut, the cover of which is a picture of the Capitol building in D.C. being struck by lightning no doubt symbolizing their band in U- or band in DC status. Mm-hmm. And now they finally had the opportunity for a cross country tour. They holed up in the van together and drove it all across America. And this is where a controversial event took place for Bad Brains. Hmm. Okay. In Austin, they were offered a place to stay with the band Big Boys, who were a gay punk band. Okay. The story isn't 100% clear, so the basic gist is that while they were staying with them, the boys gave the brains some weed and just asked them to pay them back after they got the cash from their show. Okay. So it sounds like Dr. No tried to leave them money, but instead what got left was a note saying, fire burn all F-words. What? Many assume that HR did this. Um, now, their side of the story is saying that HR said that to their faces because the big boys were trying to provoke them by, like, acting gay in front of them. Like, kind of like a, <sighs> like, on. oh, we're gay and this is upsetting no, you. No, no, I'm sorry. I don't think that any gay person would purposely, quote unquote, act gay in front of somebody to make somebody uncomfortable. In the early 80s? Yeah. That, I'm sorry doesn't happen usually that is some kind of like revisionist history shit going on where the person who felt like they were attacked tells the story Mm. and the story ends up being well they did something to provoke me right and i mean this is this is an interesting story and i think it is telling of things to come especially with hr because this is a very like hr is a really nice guy You know, he's the type of guy who would, like, throw his coat over a puddle for people, like, really Mm -hmm. laid back. So the fact that he would have such an adverse reaction threw some people for a loop, like, when they heard the story, like, really? HR would do that? Um, But on top of that, you know, they make the argument, they have since come back and been like, you know, we're sorry, you know, this isn't, this wasn't cool, no matter how it went down, Um, even if... You know, we were provoked. That still wasn't a cool thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they do also try to defend it being like, you know, we're Rastafarians. We're very religious. We follow the Bible. And at that time in the Oh, 80s, hey, but that doesn't excuse your behavior. They are definitely regretful. They, I can tell, like, they don't adhere to those same rules anymore. But the biggest thing about bringing that story forward is it is an interesting, weird way for HR to react. It is. And also... 
Um, I don't care if somebody is gay, straight, bi, cisgender, nonconformist, uh, gender fluid, whatever. It don't matter. You pay them for the pot they give you. <laughs> you do, though. Like, somebody gives you pot. You them pay them for it. You pay them for it. They, they give you a service. Yeah. You pay for your services. Just fucking pay them for the Goods pot. Goods and services. I don't give a shit if they try to hit on you or not. Pay them for the pot and leave. Right? That's all you got to do. And then you still look like the good person. Yeah. And then you avoid shit like this. Even if you do drop a really offensive slur, it's fine, I guess. (laughs) It's never fine to drop an offensive slur, but it is fine to pay him for the pot. Pay him for the pot, guys. Just do it. In 1983, they released their next album, Rock for Light, which we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. But this time it had a proper full release. It wasn't just on cassette. And it was properly produced by Rick Ocasek of The Cars. What? All right. How did they do that? Rick had a bad... Also, how? Just how? Well, I'm I'm getting to it. (laughs) But my brain is like, how? 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 how, how." (laughs) So was their brains. So was their bad brains. (laughs) Rick had bad brains' first tape on his tour bus and would play it to get himself pumped up before a show. That is so strange. I mean, I guess. I mean, hold up. But also but at like, the same time, it brains, kind of it makes does sense. get you pumped. Yeah, but <laughs> also it kind of makes sense because I feel like Rick Ocasek was kind of into a lot of underground stuff. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I don't know his story very well, but I feel like he was in touch on a, uh, on a level most of his contemporaries were not Yes, on. he was. And the, they interview him for the Abandoned DC documentary, mm-hmm. which you can get on YouTube, by the way, so watch it. And um, he says, that's exactly what he says. He's like, you know, yeah, my music may be one thing, but I'm always trying to look for a new thing and yeah. get into different things. Because he wasn't just a musician in the cars. He was a producer. Mm-hmm. He was a kind of a promoter in a way. Yeah. So, I mean, it made sense that he was in touch with bands that other people weren't really listening exactly. to. Exactly. Like, he was always keeping his ear out. So when Bad Brains were touring in Boston, Rick hit them up and offered to produce their next album. And they were initially were pretty hesitant because it was really cool to hate the cars at the time. It was. It was they were. <laughs> it was easy to not like the cars. But who's to gonna drive you home Ugh. tonight? I'd like that song actually. <laughs> but you know what? They couldn't say no to this opportunity. And you know what? They ended up getting along great with Rick. He was a really nice guy. Dude's an easy guy to get along easy with. Easy guy to get along with. Also, he gave them instruments. Also, another musician that at least at one point lived in my hometown. Of course. Yeah. Because everybody did. I feel like six times out of ten, they lived in your hometown. <laughs> Pretty much. At some point or another. But Rick really believed in the work they were doing, and he gave them their first studio experience it only ended up taking them three days to record that album. What? Because they were so used to bullshit, what? so it was easier to do it in a, in an environment that was like, yeah, make yeah, what you need I to mean... make. And Rick Ocasek, for everything it's worth, is a good producer. He and is. knows how to make a good sound. And also, um, it's a punk album. It's not... It's it doesn't n- have to be super it's, polished. It's not a Queen album. Mm-mm. It's not something that really should take more than a couple weeks. Exactly. 
And while some are weary of the Rick Ocasek name being associated with the Bad Brains album, this has actually gone on to become a quintessential part of any standard punk collection. Yes. It features songs from their debut and it features new songs. It's a great banger of an album. If I'm going to tell you to listen to anything from Bad Brains, it would be this album. Mm -hmm. It is so good. It wasn't until 1986 that we saw another Bad Brains album with Eye Against Eye. There was a definite shift in their sound once again because they added in elements of like heavy metal and soul. They worked with producer Ron St. Germain, who brought them to Longview Studios in Massachusetts to help them band just find some focus. In Massachusetts? Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's some really pretty parts. But <laughs> there are some very nice parts of Massachusetts. There are. Will, you guys I are, will concede to that. You guys are okay. You're all you're all you're right. All right. But one weekend, Ron was caught a little off guard when HR let him know he was going to have to go back to D.C. for a while because he was going to jail. I'm sorry? He was going to jail. For for what? So not long before they went to go record this album, both H.R. and Earl were busted with marijuana and had to serve a six-month sentence. Yet another pointless, stupid drug charge. Yeah, because it wasn't even that much pot. It was like a little bit of pot, but enough for a six-month sentence. So stupid. So the week before they left, Ron and HR put down two takes for each song for the album, so he would be able to finish it while he was incarcerated. But even in jail, Bad Brain still managed to make music. (laughs) How? So, okay, at this point, the song Sacred Love was still unfinished. So what they did was they ended up getting HR time to be on the phone because I guess it wasn't as easy to get like time to talk to people on the phone back then or whatever in this jail. I'm not sure exactly why. But so they got him on the phone so he could sing his vocals for the song. Oh, my God. That's so funny. And like if you listen to Sacred Love, you'll notice like the vocals are very kind of distant, muffled. And it's because he's singing them into the phone at jail. They that had to is take amazing. the receiver, put in the microphone, take, like, the headpiece out so there wouldn't be any fucking feedback. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good tactic. It is. And, and it's, it's, Sacred Love's a great song, so fuck, it works out great. Fucking punk rock, man. That is the most to re- punk rock shit I've Seriously, ever heard in my life. To record your vocals to an album while you're in jail yep. over the jail phone. Yep. That's pretty punk rock. Jail phone. Jail phone. That'd be a good band name. Ooh, write it down. I'll, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> jail phone. <laughs> hey guys, we're jail phone. <laughs> Got a new song for you guys. HR was wanting to break out of the Bad Brains box, so to speak. He wanted to focus more on reggae. Between Rock for Light and Eye Against Eye, he actually did leave the band in those few years. And he did his own thing. And actually, again, after Eye Against Eye in 86, he left again looking for new work. Huh. So HR would just kind of keep leaving the band sporadically. And kind of just doing like more reggae. them to be there whenever he wanted to come back? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He told the band uh, later on that he wanted to start a new project called The Zion Train. And Daryl and Dr. No were not really feeling it. But Earl decided he may as well join his brother. And at some point, Zion Train eventually became the band known as HR, Human Rights. Okay. As for the rest of the band, they didn't want to let HR's absence stop them from making music. So, like, they would just grab new members here and there along the way. 
For a time, they picked up singer Taj Singleton and drummer Mackie Jason. By 1988, they signed with Caroline Records, and they were getting ready to hit the studio again. It was two years after I again said, like, you know, let's get let's get on this. Let's keep okay. going. Let's keep making stuff. That's interesting. While Taj was initially set to do the vocals for this next album, HR heard that they were going to be recording again, and he said he wanted in. Oh. Did ya? Okay. The rest of the band, and even Taj, they didn't want to refuse him, so what they did was they sent him a tape of what they had worked on thus far, and in two days, HR had lyrics ready to go. And they set down the album. Uh, the thing with Taj, too, um, you can watch him in the documentary Finding Joseph I. Mm-hmm. And that's on Amazon Prime. So, again, watch it. <laughs> it's free. Guys, these things are free. You can watch them. He really admired HR. So, for him, if HR wanted in, he's like, I'm not even going to attempt to fight that. Yeah. And the band, I mean, but Bad same- Brains isn't one person. And they all knew that. But at the same time, they just... There is a charisma and just a flow that happens when they are all together. Right. But at the same time, it's kind of douchey to be like, oh, I'm going to leave this band and do my own thing. Oh, but you have somebody to replace me? No, 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 no. No. It's me. No, me. Me, me, me. But it is also kind of weird to have such a back and forth on things. Yes. Like... It's like, oh, I want to do this stuff over here and leave you guys behind. But at the same time, if you try and do anything without me, I'm just going to, like, squeeze myself back in. Yeah. It's it's a little bit arrogant. It's a little arrogant. It's a lot of things. But at the same time, I get it. It's your band. Mm-hmm. This is your baby. This is your thing. But you did make a decision to leave and do something else. You did make a decision. Mm-hmm. Well, the resulting album was called Quickness, and while Earl is on the cover of this album, it was actually Mackie who laid down the drums for the record. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. Hmm. At the time of its release, it did become the best-selling Bad Brains album. Hmm. I mean, I think since then it has changed, but yeah, at the time, like, it still did well. But again, they would strike controversy. Hold on to your butts. Oh, boy. With the song Don't Blow Bubbles, which has some homophobic lyrics and suggested that AIDS was God's cure for homosexuality. What? Again, they have since called their initial homophobic views ignorant and apologized for them. But here's my problem with oh, it. Here's okay, boy. I I let me state this. I think they are genuinely sorry. I don't think uh-huh. that they have these views. Uh-huh. I think that they are coming from a place of strict religion and HR had some interesting things going on in his brain at the time too okay but when they talk about it like especially daryl they get mad they like are like yeah we're homophobic but whatever we're not anymore so who cares like it's almost like an apology that's not an apology it's it's an apology that's really a defense yes they get really defensive when they when people bring up like yeah we said some stupid shit but who cares move on from it it's like you know what all you have to do is say all you have to do is say we're really sorry. These were ignorant views. We do not hold them anymore. And we apologize and leave That's it. That's all you have to That's do. That's all you have to do. You don't have to get really fucking defensive and get mad and yell at people for being, we're not like that anymore. So why are you even bringing it up? Because you did say these things and people might not know who you are because you are a cult yeah. band and people are going to question you. And you just need to be like, we're sorry. Like, even if you got a spoon. 
spoon feed the same bullshit every time. Yeah. Just take the high road, guys. And here's here's the thing. Like, I can't help but kind of draw parallels between that and some of the um, songs that Typo Negative and Peter mm-hmm. Seal put out. Mm-hmm. But the big difference here is even if you were like us and you looked at Typo Negative songs from a 2019 post woke yeah, like state of mind yeah 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 um you can look back at typo negative songs and be like okay i get where they were trying to be funny they, i get they're trying to be controversial i get they were the point was to be controversial right. and the point was to poke fun at these things but here it's it takes a little bit of a deeper uh turn because there's a religion component whereas typo negative was not had nothing to do with religion it It was was just just, ruffle feathers yeah it was just to ruffle feathers it was just to make it a big old fucking joke but when you say aids is god's cure for homosexuality it makes me that's a deep cut and you need to like you're gonna have to cauterize that wound bitch it makes me think that there's quite a bit of seriousness to go along with that statement. I get it. Religion can be toxic and it can make you think shitty things that aren't true. But be like a little bit more gracious in your apology. Because those right. things are hurtful and they're damaging. And you can't and, say shit like that about don't, people. don't just apologize because you feel like you need to apologize because yes. of what year it is. Yes. Don't do that. Apologize because you fucking feel like... Because you feel bad because of what you said. And you can't get mad at people for questioning things that you have said in the past. Yeah. Unfortunately. And you can't get mad at people for calling you out on it. And here's the thing. I do. I don't think we should hold their feet to the fire. I think like at this point, I do genuinely believe that they have apologized. And Mm -hmm. I think like we need to let it go. Yeah. But at the same time, if someone's going to confront you about it. Don't get defensive. Don't get defensive. Just spit out the same apology that you spit out before, which is, I'm sorry we were ignorant and we were wrong. I get it. Sucking it up fucking sucks because I hate doing that too. Oh, yeah. I don't want to have to do that. I want to scream at people and tell them why I'm right. But sometimes (laughs) you just have to suck it up to save your face. Yeah. Just do do it. I think this is like the only thing that Bad Brains does that I'm like, Come on, guys. You're yeah. better than this. And I know you're better than this. And it it sucks because it's it's such deep cuts. Mm. It hurts now. It's not great. It's yeah. not a it's not a cute look, guys. Yeah. You gotta drop it. Well, they went on to tour to promote quickness, but after about a month, HR once again left bad brains to do his own Jesus thing. Jesus Christ! Taj was brought back. Figured out. And so <laughs> were other singers like Faith No More's Chuck Mosley. To fill the spot of the singer so they could finish the tour. At this point, Bad Brains, as they were known by the masses, was changed. HR and Earl were gone to play more strictly reggae music, with Daryl and Dr. No keeping the band aligned with Mackie and bringing on vocalist Israel Joseph I. They released the album Rise in 1993, and despite it not having two of its original members, it was still fairly well-received. And many thought Israel did a good job considering whose shadow he was standing in. Right. Actually, and I've listened, this is a pretty good album, and I think Israel does a very good job. The lineup stayed as such for a year, and they toured successfully. But in 1995, HR called up Daryl and said he had met a producer from Maverick Records named Guy Osiri, 
Which, little fact, I guess he was dating Madonna at the time. Because everyone was like, this is the guy dating Madonna. Oh, okay. That gives him credit? I don't don't know. know. They kept talking about it in every documentary. (laughs) Well, he wanted to work with Bad Brains. So again, the original lineup got back together, signed to Maverick, and made their next album, God of Love. Mm -hmm. Guy brought back Rick Ocasek to produce. And Rick was happy to work with the guys again, but noted some strange behavior from HR. Upon discovering the studio was across the street from a graveyard, he refused to go back to work. What? Okay. He didn't like being around the spirits. He didn't like singing Mm, near the dead. Okay. Rick managed to get him in just enough time so he could get his vocals down, because for what it's worth, HR is stupid talented, and he was able to create seven-part harmonies with no trouble. Jesus. Right? But at this time... They're in Hollywood now, right? Like, they're not, like, in the little D.C. or New York City mm-hmm. studio or little Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. They're in Hollywood. Right. They're surrounded by, like, people. Mm-hmm. They're surrounded by people who know who they are and know, like, the biz. Yeah. And it was kind of around this time that people noticed, like, HR's kind of weird, guys. Don't you think HR's kind of weird? Because he would do things like the graveyard thing. He would do things like bring a fish into, like, the studio in a bra to cook it and then just, like, leave it and not do anything with it. I'm sorry. Did you just say a fish fish in a bra? Yeah. And cook it? Not the bra, just the fish. Where did he get the bra? Like, I'm not even worried about the fish. Where did he get the bra from? No idea. And why did he think a bra was an acceptable container to transport a fish? Yep. And he would just leave. He, when he got his money, instead of buying a car, he bought a limo. That he drove? Yeah. I am so confused. So everyone in Hollywood was starting to be like, guys, don't you think HR is kind of weird? Yeah, he's weird. He's weird. Yep. But I digress. Again, this album did well and fans were really happy to have the OG lineup back. Fans, such as the Beastie Boys, were especially pleased and asked them to go on their ill communication tour with them. Oh, wow. That's a big fucking tour. Yeah. But this was not going to be the fairy tale story that it should have been. Constant problems were had from the beginning. Mostly violent altercations involving HR. He attacked a skinhead at one show, a security guard at another... But the biggest one being when they were on the tour bus, HR refused to go on because I guess so, he felt like somebody didn't address him properly or someone said something that just. So it seems like he's gradually going into some kind of psychosis. Yeah. He ended up beating up both his brother and their manager, Anthony what? County. Like in the story goes like he would like he was just punching everybody. And Anthony, their manager, said, I don't want to hit you i want you to go on stage and like he rips out some of his hair so this happened when he refused to leave the tour bus mm-hmm. oh they were trying to get him to leave jesus yeah so from this they were kicked off the tour and hr left the band once again but he did come back after not too long so they could tour for a bit and record a live album under the name soul brains because they no longer had rights at the time to the original name bad brains due to a legal battle with a previous management company wow but obviously they've won that sense and they're bad brains again but for a brief time in the late 90s early 2000s they had to be known as soul brains what that is soul brains it's bad brains (laughs) that's ridiculous it is 
In the early 2000s, the bandmates split again and spent time on side projects with other musicians. HR was the most active, doing work with 311, POD, and various others. And various other new metal artists? What? Yes, apparently. But despite all the work he was doing and all of his fame, Guy was essentially homeless. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. He would have money, but he would just, like, either give it away or spend it on, like, fruitless things, just not really pay attention to it, because to him money meant nothing. But he also just didn't understand, like, you do need a little bit, though. But you also need, you know, an apartment, yeah. maybe some food. Yeah. HR was now well known for his erratic behavior, but many claimed, like, he was just eccentric. No, 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 no. Others knew there was something amiss, though. No, there is a very big difference between eccentric and psychologically unstable. Yeah. You know, some tried to get him to a doctor, but HR was just never willing to cooperate. That's really unfortunate, because I feel like in a lot of cases, that is how people become homeless. Mm -hmm. Because they have some kind of psychosis that remains untreated. Yep. To a point where they just don't realize reality anymore. Exactly. And they don't understand that they need an apartment, they need food, they need all these things, and instead they end up on the street because where else can they go? Exactly. They have nowhere they else have to no go. They have no ability to, co- to like, take care of themselves. Yeah. So they just end up on the street. But whenever Bad Brains was about to do another album, HR would come back. In 2007, they released the album Build a Nation, which was produced by Beastie Boys, Adam Yauch. Rip MCA. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for MCA. Yeah. During 2006 and 2007, they attempted another tour, but HR's behavior made it nearly impossible. He would go on stage with a blanket over his head the whole time, or maybe he'd wear a motorcycle helmet and sing into a headset, or maybe he would just go on stage and not sing at all and just sit there. That's insane. Like it is literal insane behavior. But also it it must have been pretty difficult for the other members of the band because there's not really anything they can do about it. Right. It, they can only do so much to try and get him help for whatever is the issue. Right. He has to make the decision himself to get the help that he needs. Right. I will say the documentary Abandoned DC captures a lot of these moments Mm -hmm. it's probably pretty disturbing it's yeah you can tell something's wrong with him and he also does a lot of between this and the um finding joseph i documentary he carries cam he carries a camcorder with him a lot and he'll Mm -hmm. record himself and a lot of times it's just him smiling at the camera and kind of talking at it and it's unsettling (laughs) yeah to say the least yeah well so hr leaves again and they tour for a bit with Joseph, um, Israel Joseph. Fast forward to 2012, and they release another album with HR called Into the Future. You know what? Look, at this point, like, I think you get it. HR comes back. They work on stuff. His behavior's too extreme for him to stick around, so he leaves. It's even yeah. just too much for me to keep track of. This story is filled with so many one-sided tales and lots of attempts to keep certain things downplayed. Yeah. HR blatantly has schizophrenia. Yeah. Like, it is so obvious. It was so frustrating watching the documentaries. It's so frustrating watching, like, him go through this. And, like, I get it. You can only do so much for him because he is also an adult. And I think it's 
he has enough of a control over it to be able to not talk to a doctor or be able to, like, tell someone, like, I'm fine. So, like, you can't yeah. force him into treatment. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people in his life are like, well, I mean, you know, HR is just different. He's got his problems. But, like, fuck, man, your brother's in your band and he's not forcing you to go to somebody? Yeah. I and mean, I don't I don't want to malign him. I'm sure, like, I don't know the... I also think that they are a band that keeps their cards close to their chest. Yeah. And they don't want you to know everything. They don't want you to well, know HR's I'm sure, got problems. Yeah, I'm sure that they, they don't because they probably feel like his uh, mental health issues are a part of his creative genius. I'm sure they are. I'm sure, like, that's why he had the energy he had on stage. Yeah. But if you think about it, go back to that incident with the big boys. He was probably mid-20s when does schizophrenia set in. Right. About for, mid to late for 20s. For adult males, it's mid to late 20s. He's probably starting to have... Like, that's why I brought that story, because I think that's when his schizophrenia is starting to sink in. And it also makes sense that, like, maybe he had more of a tight grasp on religion. Right, because, I mean... And use he's that He's hearing as, voices, and you watch yeah. the documentaries, and you look at him on stage. He's looking at shit. He's talking to shit that isn't there. Yeah. And, and that's I'm like, not on stage charisma. That's probably some kind of schizophrenic right. thing. And I mean, that's probably why he kept leaving the band and coming back because he probably left because it's just like, that's got to be an, an element of it. Yeah. It's And it's like for me watching the documentary, it's like, guys, he has schizophrenia. Treat him for schizophrenia. Right. Don't bring him to a doctor. Don't shove this under yeah. the rug. And don't act like you're not exploiting this. Because I kind of feel like you are. Because this has been going on for years and years and years. Right. It kind of seems like you're exploiting it because and you're like, not really doing. Yeah, you're not really doing a whole lot to help him out here. Seriously. And I get it. This is your livelihood, but. But you're also like he, he need to get him help. Yeah, he, the he guy needed, needs help. Like, I'm not gonna lie. When I watched Finding Joseph, I there was a certain point where I just got mad, and I'm like, somebody help him. Yeah. Why is no one helping him? Like, sometimes you might just have to be that person that forces him into someplace. Maybe you gotta lie a little and say like he was gonna hurt somebody or himself. It doesn't seem like they to really me, it care just, much it didn't, to and, do anything. Again, I don't want to malign anyone. I yeah. think that there are things in the documentaries that they don't show. But at the same time, like, what are you doing for him? What are you doing? Right. But if there's things that you're not showing, then what you don't show makes it seem like you don't care. Right. Exactly. And I don't want to say that his own brother doesn't care about him. I'm sure he does. But... What what are you guys doing to help? Yeah. So I want to know what I want to know the other stories from the other band members. Yeah, and I don't think we ever will because again, I think they're they keep certain things to themselves, which they have every right to. Yeah, you do, you do. But it's what none is of my business. but what is out there doesn't make them look very good. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to like you said I don't want to malign anybody when I don't know the other 3 or 4 stories or whatever that's going on. Right. Right. But but what I do know, it doesn't look too good. It doesn't. All right. So like in 2012 though, he does marry a woman named Lori. Really? Yes. All he right. gets married and she's in the Finding Joseph I documentary and she says like, "Yeah, I loved him, but I also felt like if I married him, I could help him." Oh no. Well, she did manage to get him some help recently. Good. Back in 2016, she announced that, yes, 
he is a diagnosed schizophrenic. Good. But also, he has, and bear with me, short-lasting unilateral neuralgiform headache with conjunctivital injection and tearing, also known as sunked. Okay, so he gets... He Migraines has extreme headaches that, like, have basically almost dro- driven him to suicide. Like, okay. they're such bad headaches that, like, he, in in Finding Joseph I, he talks about them. He's like, I can't handle this anymore. I do need to go to a doctor. Like, he decided he needed to go to a doctor because his headaches were so bad. I mean, it makes sense with that kind of diagnosis. Yeah, it's it's extreme. Um, he did get surgery in 2017 to alleviate these headaches. And as far as I know, he seems to be getting some kind of treatment for his schizophrenia. Good. So, I mean, I think marrying Lori did help him. Good. Because she was a positive influence and someone who could say, I'm your spouse and I can tell you that you have to go. Well, that's somebody who is around him all day. Yeah. Every day, 24-7. Making sure he's taken care of, making sure he's right. not homeless. Yeah. Like, so For good. what it's worth, like, I mean, I don't know what the relationship's like, but... She seems to be doing good work. And, I mean, you can't cure schizophrenia. No. But um, at the end of Finding Joseph I, it definitely seemed like he's better. Good. He seems to have a slight better grasp on reality. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know since that being filmed if things have changed, but, I mean, he does seem to be a lot better. But he's not the only one with serious health problems. In 2015, Dr. No was hospitalized and put on life support for a heart attack and subsequent organ failure hey man these guys are getting old right i hate to say it but they're getting up there he barely managed to come through and after three months of medical rehabilitation and physical therapy he did make a full recovery good right but still that's some scary shit in a world where so many legends are dead this band is still alive and they can still make music and while they do break apart and come together like clockwork one can only wonder how many times are left right This band is so impactful, and they have done so much for music as we know it. Music would not be what it is without them. Punk would not be what it is without them. Rock wouldn't be. Nothing would be. Metal wouldn't be. Hardcore wouldn't be. Right. None of them would be anything without these guys. Right. But they don't have half the recognition they deserve. They were nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017, but they didn't get it. Which is unsurprising, yet still maddening. Right. Especially when... (laughs) This year, Stevie Nicks is being inducted for the second time, but Brad Brains hasn't even been in once. Right. It's. I mean, not not to. Not to malign Stevie Stevie Nicks. Nicks. She absolutely deserves it, but But at the same time, it's like she is already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Maybe Bad Brains should be put in there instead. Right. Because, like, I just sincerely hope that by sharing this story right now. That they can get more recognition. You know what? We yeah. don't have a ton of listeners, but like, listeners so anything have, helps. Spread it, guys. Like, I want them to get the recognition they deserve while they're still alive to appreciate it. All too often, we realize how great someone is when it is way too late. Yeah. And we've still got time with bad brains. So do themselves and yourself a favor. And pull, pull them up wherever you like to listen to your music jams. Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. I don't know what you do. You do whatever you do. But, like, do it, especially if you're a fan of punk. They Their music is so good. It really is. Like, aside from this, I think their story is impressive and epic and amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think their music is just as good and epic as amazing. Yeah. And, like, fucking give them their goddamn dues. Yes. Their dues. Give them their dues. 
They need them. They deserve them. They've earned them. Yes. More than earned them. They've been through too much shit not to. Right. So go out fucking right now and celebrate bad brains. God damn it. (laughs) Before Maggie fucking explodes. I might. (laughs) God damn it. Good though. They and honestly, like their music is so good. I am ashamed of myself for not listening to them sooner. I think we all should be. Yeah. Be ashamed of yourself. If any of us listened to punk and all we fucking listened to was the goddamn sex pistols. If you've listened to punk and if you've listened to ska, if you've listened to like funk or soul or heavy metal and if you even remotely liked it, then you should probably listen to Bad Brains. Yes, because there, I promise, will be something in it for you. Yeah. At one of the albums. So, do it. God damn it. <laughs> Raging. Wow, I didn't mean to rage on this. There's just, there's so many layers to this story. Yeah. Um. The hardship of trying to be a punk band and not sell out, but have recognition yeah. And also... The hey, punk, chill out. Selling out's fine. Yeah. And also the mental health aspect of everything. Right. And just the roller coaster of HR being in and out, in and out, in and right. out. It's a lot. It is a it is a lot. In the past couple weeks of me researching it, it's just like... It's, it, I feel like I just, un, un, I just bared my load on everyone else. Take that how you want. <laughs> but seriously, it's... It's it's a trial, and I really think we need to give them their dues while they're still yeah. alive. And hopefully um, HR continues on his path right? of like, good fortune. Yep. I hope HR can only stay treated and as well as he can with his illnesses. I hope Dr. No still stays good after all that happened to him. And the rest of them. And same with Daryl and Earl. I hope that everybody just stays healthy and happy and can bask in the fact that they're amazing. Yeah. And that's all I want. That's all I want. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Guys, this is why we do this podcast, because you need to go out there and appreciate the shit that isn't appreciated. This is why we do this. Yes. Man, all right. I think we should wrap it up, though. Yes. Because my rage is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> my enthusiasm is real. My drunkenness is real. Thank you guys for listening, though. We appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to us. Damn yeah. it. And if you want to show us your appreciation, you can give us five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever you can leave five-star reviews. Everywhere. everywhere. On all the things. All the things. Just everywhere. Download us. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your cool grandma. Listen to Rock Candy (laughs) Podcasts. We want them listens. We want all the listens from the cool grandmas. Only cool grandmas. Only cool grandmas. (laughs) You can also follow us on the social medias, Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And we, of course, have our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can email us, comment on things and all that good stuff. Tune in next week for our final week of Black History Month. We got a we got another, I think, roller coaster ride coming our way yeah it's probably gonna be but also it's gonna be um somebody you probably didn't know a whole lot about before like you know them but you don't know a lot about them yeah and that's where i am right now so i'm very excited yeah yeah it's gonna be an interesting story it will be i'm excited and with that a party on ashley party on maggie
Bye, balls out. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, balls out. Thank you.